Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardena Osband, here with my friend, Chavrusa Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masech Yivamot, daf Mem Chet, page 48. Uh, there's a lot of different topics on this daf, but the one that I wanted to talk about is this Eshet uh, Yifat Torah, which is this very interesting halacha. Um, maybe some people would more describe it as disturbing as opposed to interesting, which is if a woman is basically captured, a non-Jewish woman is captured during war, and a man, basically a Jewish man, decides that he, you know, must marry her. Uh, what is the process for that? And so um, we have, uh, you know, so it comes in a context of talking about different types of conversions that can take place um, and sort of the topic of maybe like forced conversions or people who have to convert. Um, but there's a price here that, you know, talks a little bit more specifically about some of the details. So there's a pasuk in Devarim, chapter 21, verse 12, where it says she shall shave her head and do do her nails. Um, and part of what happens with Ifato, with Isha Ifatoa is she undergoes this process, like when you're in, you know, I would say in elementary school or high school and you learn about this, that she's sort of like supposed to make herself look ugly. You know, so the man has to really decide if he wants to marry her or sort of to prove that, you know, he, he has better intentions than what this all seems to be. Um, and so the question here that the Bryson wants to deal with is what does Va'asta mean? Right? What does it mean to do her nails? It obviously doesn't mean to do her nails the way we talk about it today, right? Rabbi Eliezer Omer Takut, Rabbi Akiva Omer Takdil. So Rabbi Eliezer says it means she cuts her nails very short. Rabbi Akiva says it means she grows them. And now there's an interesting sort of back and forth between them of how each of them got to this. I'm a Rabbi Eliezer, Nemra Asiyaba Roach, right? Rabbi Eliezer says just as what she does with her head that she has to shave it, the Nemra Asiyaba Tzipornayim, and then she has to do some kind of act with her nails and they're parallel to each other in the uh, Pasuk, Malahalan Habara, right? Just like there with the head, with the hair, right? It has to be removed. Avkan Havaras, so too with her nails, she also would need to remove it. Now, I'm not quite sure what exactly that means. That actually sounds very barbaric and torturous. I would hope it just means, again, that she cuts it very short. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Namra Asiyabarosh. So Rabbi Akiva says the same way that she has to do uh, something uh, to her head, the Namra Asiyabatipurnaim, she has to do something to her nails too. Malahalan Nibul. Right, just as there with the hair by shaving it, it makes it minuval, it makes it repulsive. Afkan nivul. So here also, the action that's required is to do something that's repulsive. It's not just doing an action and growing nails long uh, is what doesn't look nice. So there's a proof for Rabbi Eliezer, and here they quote a pasuk from Shmuel Bet, uh, chapter 19, verse 25. Right, where it says that Mephibosheth, remember, which was the son of Shaul, and this has to do with when David Hamelech was uh, taking over the crown, um, right, that Shaul still had some children. So it says Mephibosheth, the son of Shaul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither done, again, this idea of Asa, his feet nor his mustache. So what does it mean? Uh, it means that he removed, he hadn't removed them, um, his his nails or his mustache. Tanu Ravanan, okay, now we have another brace about this. Right, she is allowed, she's basically given, this prisoner is basically given time 
to cry about her mother, her father and her mother um, for, uh, we'll see later on, the, the description there is Yerech Yamin, uh, which is loosely translated as a month of days. And then after that, after giving her that period of time, then he's allowed to marry her. So this is a pasuk from Devarim chapter 21, verse 13. Rabbi Eliezer mer abia abia mamash, ima ima mamash. So Rabbi Eliezer says it literally means she gets to mourn her family that she no longer is with. Rabbi Yokiva mer abia ima zo avodazara. What she really gets to mourn is the fact that she's no longer going to be an idol worshiper. Right? And so this here he quotes a pasuk from Yirmiyahu chapter 2, verse 27, which seems to refer to Avi as, as a form of idolatry, that you're calling the, the Aboda Zara an idolater. So I, I found this price to be interesting because this, I think, really highlights well the type of dress show, the type of exegesis that Rabbi Akiva engages in, right? Rabbi Eliezer comes from the school of thought of Beit Shammai, right? It's very sort of uh, straight and to the point. And he's literally saying it's just Aviyah right? It's, it's the father and the mother. Rabbi Akiva takes a much more sort of creative liberty in how he explains this by saying that it's actually Avodazar. It's being Pasuk, but this is like very typical Rabbi Akiva. It's not the straightforward shot. And then it goes on to say Yerech Yamim, right? A month of days. So what does that mean exactly? Yerech Shloshim Yom. So we know that it's, a month is typically, a it must mean a 30-day month. Rabbi Shuman ben Elazar Amer Tishim Yom. Rabbi Shuman ben Elazar says it's actually 90 days. Yerech Shloshim, right? So Yerech, the moon, uh, means uh, 30 days. Yamim is Shloshim, um, right? Would be another 30 days. Vachar came, right? Meaning afterwards, then he can um, then he can take her, is another Shloshim. So he actually gets to a full period of 30 days. Then Matkifla, Ravina, Ravina comes. Amai, Yerech Shloshim, Yamim Shloshim, Vachar Kach, Ki So Ravina really you know, he objects to this. And he says a month would mean 30 days. Days would be 30 days. And then the achar kain, he equal, should be equal to the yerach and the amim together. So that would actually be 60 days. And that would mean you get to 120 days. And so the Gemara says kasha. Yeah, maybe Rabina's explanation uh, is actually good. But please, you know, recognize here that Ravina's, um, what Ravina's doing here, this is an Amorav, disagreeing with the Tana, and the Gemara accepts this and basically says that it's Akasha. So, you know, we have two braces here that explain this, you know, Asha Ifat Torah. It's a very interesting halacha. Again, I said maybe some people will say um, it's disturbing. It is a form of basically forced conversion. Um, and, um, you know, it's interesting to see sort of the Midrash halacha that goes along with it, where they sort of try to tease out how was this actually um, enacted and how was this actually done. Um, you know, and I, I just thought, and again, the other piece I wanted to highlight here was that I think we see a very typical type of exegesis of Rabbi Akiva really, really takes great liberty. The straightforward shot is good. It's time to mourn her family. He basically gets to say, no, it really means Avodazar, which makes sense because again, it's a forced conversion. That's what she's sort of leaving. Um, but it's clearly not the straightforward shot. You know, for all that, I'm sure I first learned about Eishi Ifatora in high school, and I'm sure that, you know, the the context that seemed appalling or disturbing or concerning at the time was simply the fact of, you know, taking this woman, right? And which I understand is too often part of 
what happens in war, but that was always the the picture of it. I don't think until right now, meaning until this daf, I don't think that I'd ever really thought about it in the context of forced conversion. And yet that is, you know, a good, a significant element of what is happening in the life of this woman. Um, I want to jump down to the end of the daf. The end of the daf brings us a discussion about converts. So the interim, you know, is about slaves and and who can sell and who can purchase and, and a lot of details about, you know, a slave might in fact end up becoming a convert. But the section that I'm looking at is, I would say, almost a closing piece on the discussion of conversion in Yavamot. I can't obviously speak to the entirety of the rest of the Masachet, but the, but the coming dapim don't delve into converts and the process of conversion and so on, as we've seen to this point. Um, so the, the brings a breakdown. It says as follows. Tanya, Rabbi Hanania Benosha Rabbi Gamliel Omer, this is Rabbi Hanania, who's Rabbi Gamliel's son. So he's, you know, <laughs> coming on the heels of, of big guns. What is the reason that the converts in this day, in this day meaning his day, are suffering and that they have hardships coming upon them? Meaning his reality, right, his geopolitical reality, whatever the experiences of the converts, in a way that um, I, I don't know that we can pinpoint exactly what he's referring to in a in a larger context. It does seem to be at a time when, you know, the Jews were not on the, I don't know, not so sitting pretty in terms of their own uh, political ascendancy and so on. Also, the question could be understood to be simply a more general question of, why would any convert ever have suffering, right? We'll, which we'll explain in just a moment. The question is largely one of theodicy, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things, why do bad things happen to converts, right? People who are newly Jewish. Um, and of course, part of the issue is, you know, you could say if you're born into Judaism, then that's part of Amsugula. That's the way God has determined the Jewish people are going to be. But a convert joins the Jewish people. Why would they be suffering? So So the Gemara first answers, because they did not keep the seven mitzvot b'nei noach, the seven noachite mitzvot. We've talked about these in the past. They include the big three, the ones we call the big three, right? No no, um, idolatry, no adultery, no, um, no murder, right? Those are the big three. And then several others, including not eating a limb from a live animal and setting up Certain issues of of um yeah whatever there there's seven of them we've talked about them in the past um but the it's a difficult answer right because to say to people who are leaving um I don't know what we want to call this non Jewishnesshood Gentilehood for to take on more mitzvot and then to accuse them that they're getting punished as they take on more mitzvot for not having kept seven. Is I think a difficult, a difficult claim, you know, to begin with. And Rebiosi here has a different issue with it. Rebiosi Omer Ger Gayer Dami, and this is really the question of the theodicy, right? A convert who converts is like a child who's just born, meaning he doesn't have a history of not doing mitzvot. He doesn't have a history of sin because he wasn't Jewish up until that point, so that it can't be held against him, that past of not keeping seven, seven mitzvot b'nei noach, even if that were true, it can't be held against him 
that he should be punished for them in his experience um, as a Jew. Rather, why was he? Why are they suffering? So now the attempt to to answer this is because they're not as expert in the details of the mitzvot of you know like like born Jews would have been. Of course, this is also a difficult claim because I think anybody who knows anybody who studied for conversion knows that they all learn all kinds of tikkuke mitzvot mitzvot. You know the details of the mitzvot that born Jews very often do not know. Uh, you know the intricacies of of all of the details that people kind of just, you know, who who, have, who are born into it might go through the motions and somebody who's not born into it needs to really learn in detail. And Abba Hanan says, suggests another reason, right, that that um, they're observing the mitzvot not from love of God, but only from fear of the punishments. And again, I'm going to say, but they've just joined the Jewish people. Like, it's hard to say that they've joined the Jewish people out of fear of punishments that wouldn't have befallen them had they not joined the Jewish people. So all of these reasons are, I think, you know, well, well intended. They're they're good attempts to come up with a reason for Yisurim to come up with a reason for suffering. Answering why there is suffering is always a difficult. Uh, the parameters of a convert to begin with um, kind of sharpen the question. So this is interesting. Others say that the reason is that they waited. Before entering, and this before you know, undering the um, under the it says here under the wings of the divine presence, right? But what does it mean that they waited? How could they wait? You don't have a, there's no mitzvah on non Jews to convert, so what's the delay? And then the question here is well, perhaps they had a thought of converting, they decided to convert, and then they delayed the process until they really got you know, got there. And again, I would say. We, the process of conversion, we Jews have instituted a process of delay. So maybe they delayed further than that. Again, it's it's a difficult, it's a difficult question, and it's another difficult answer. My So. Rabbi Abal says, or maybe it was Rabbi Hanina who said it, that the verse that that shows that one should convert at the earliest chance one has is a statement from Boaz to Ruth, that God will um, pay you back, right? And your reward will be complete from God under whose wings you're coming to take refuge. So there's this very beautiful idea that once you're going to convert, once you're part, once you're considering, I guess, being part of the Jewish people, once you've made that decision, you know, get to it. And then, it, then the implication is that if you don't, then maybe that's reason enough for Yisurin. I think that this is one of those cases where it's very, very easy to question is stronger than the answer. And that is why there's so many attempts at answering, because that question of why is there suffering for anybody in the world is simply too often an impossibility to answer. So the attempts are good. They're well-intended. We want to be able to line up you know, all the details and say, well, you did this this way and that's why you got that, you know, punishment instead of reward. But that doesn't actually always, um, it doesn't always sit well. And in this case, I think none of these answers, if I may be so bold, I don't think that any of these answers 
sufficiently explains why there were converts who were having a rough time, except for that all of the Jewish people at that time were having a rough time. So they, too, were part literally throwing their lot in with the Jewish people. Right. But I, I also read this as, look, I think converts do have a hard time. They have a hard time integrating. They have a hard time being accepted. We see that today. And so I think that's also a little bit what uh, this Gemara wants to deal with. It's like it's that same observation. Like it should be you converted, you embrace Judaism, you embrace God. It should be easy peasy. And that's really not how life works. And so I think it's trying to I don't you know, unpack that a little bit. Do these answers really satisfy that? No. But again, it's one of these like I think what I would what I've seen throughout this whole Gemara or these DAPM dealing with converts is many of the issues that, you know, converts face today were the same issues in the times of the Mishnah and the Gemara. And how do you answer Bisman Hazeh? Meaning the Gemara is very spe- specifies these Gerim in the time well, of they, Rav right, I understand that, but they don't know what the future is going to be either. But I, I, I hear what you're saying about that. I, I hear what you're saying about that. But I, but again, they don't know what the future is going to be. So that's, that's the only reason why I, I feel like I can say that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Eat Michelle for website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Town with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.